0: This is day 161 of our daily Bible reading. We will be reading Lamentations chapters 3 through 5 and Ezekiel chapters 1 and 2. Lord God, you are almighty. You are so high and lifted up. You are far beyond us, Lord. You are worthy of all praise and all glory. You do so many great wonders that we don't even recognize so many things in this universe that you just cause everything to work perfectly like a well-oiled machine. And you are active in this world and in our hearts. Lord God, may we trust you in everything. May we surrender our will to you freely with no reservation because you are worthy of it. Lord God, may we see you more clearly in the days to come. As we read your word today, Lord, please help guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I am a man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places He has made me dwell, like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I have become a laughing stock to all my people, their mocking song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished, and so has my hope. From the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent, since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the land to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High, to defraud a man in his lawsuit, of these things the Lord does not approve. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins. Let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. We lift up our heart and hands toward God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and have not spared. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us mere offscouring and refuge in the midst of the peoples. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have befallen us, devastation and destruction. My eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly, without stopping until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven. My eyes bring pain to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies, without cause, hunted me down like a bird. They have silenced me in the pit and have placed a stone on me. Waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You draw near when I called to you. You said, Do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen my oppression. Judge my case. You have seen their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me. The lips of my assailants and their whispering are against me all day long. Look on their sitting and their rising. I am their mocking song. You will recompense them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them hardness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. How dark the gold has become. How the pure gold has changed. The sacred stones are poured out at the corner of every street. The precious sons of Zion, weighed against fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen jars, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst. The little ones ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those reared in purple embrace ash pits. For the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown as in a moment, and no hands were turned toward her. Her consecrated ones were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than corals. Their polishing was like lapis lazuli. Their appearance is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones, it is withered, it has become like wood. Better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger, for they pine away, being stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. They became food for them, because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has accomplished his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger, and he has kindled a fire in Zion, which has consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the inhabitants of the world, that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who have shed in her midst the blood of the righteous, they wandered blind in the streets. They were defiled with blood, so that no one could touch their garments. Depart, unclean, they cried of themselves. Depart, depart, do not touch. So they fled and wandered. Men among the nations said, They shall not continue to dwell with us. The presence of the Lord has scattered them. He will not continue to regard them. They did not honor the priests. They did not favor the elders. Yet our eyes failed. Looking for help was useless. In our watching we have watched for a nation that could not save. They hunted our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were finished, for our end has come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the sky. They chased us on the mountains, they waited in ambush for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we had said, Under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, who dwells in the land of Uz, for th- but the cup will come around to you as well. You will become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity has been completed, O daughter of Zion. He will exile you no longer, but he will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will expose your sins. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to aliens. We have become orphans without a father. Our mothers are like widows. We have to pay for our drinking water. Our wood comes to us at a price. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are worn out. There is no rest for us. We have submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more. It is we who have borne their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is no one to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin has become as hot as an oven because of the burning heat of famine. They ravished the women in Zion, the virgins in the cities of Judah. Princes were hung by their heads. Elders were not respected. Young men worked at the grinding mill, and youths stumbled under loads of wood. Elders are gone from the gate, young men from their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things our eyes are dim, because of Mount Zion which lies desolate, foxes prowl in it. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old unless you have utterly rejected us, and are exceedingly angry with us. Now it came about in the thirtieth year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Chabar among the exiles, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile, the word of the Lord came expressly, to Ezekiel the priest, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar. And there the hand of the Lord came upon him. As I looked, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually, and a bright light around it. And in its midst, something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. Within it, there were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides were human hands. As for the faces and wings of the four of them, Their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right, and the face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being, and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go, without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright, and lightning was flashing from the fire and the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. Now as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth besides the living beings, for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling barrel, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome, and the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about. Whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them, and whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, these went, and whenever those stood still, these stood still. Whenever these rose from the earth, the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Now over the heads of the living beings there was something like an expanse, like an awesome gleam of crystal, spread out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward the other. Each one, also, had two wings covering its body on the one side and on the other. I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the sound of the Almighty's voice a sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp whenever they stood still they dropped their wings and there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads whenever they stood still they dropped their wings now above the expanse that was over their heads there was something resembling a throne like lapis lazuli in appearance and on that which resembled a throne high up, was a figure with an appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them... Whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Neither fear their words, nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth, and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and, lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. And just like that, in one day, we completed another book of the Bible. I am getting close to the 1,000-page mark in my personal Bible. So just to think about that, that we have gone through almost 1,000 pages of text in the the short amount of time that we've been doing this. To me, it feels short, at least. I know it's been about seven months since we started this journey, but to me, it's flown by. So I am just glad to be here, and I have learned so much in the process, and I hope you have as well. So let's continue with what we have seen today in Lamentations. So, like I said yesterday, today we look at a passage of At first, he is lamenting here. As we have seen, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet for a reason, because he is a very emotional man, and he is heavily distraught by what he's seeing in Jerusalem. So he spends the first half of chapter 3 mourning and lamenting what is going on in Israel. And then he remembers the Lord's hope. And he spends from verses 19 and onward expressing the Lord's hope and his glory. And this is something that we should certainly keep in mind in our hardships as well. That the Lord is not doing this because he's enjoying it. He's not doing it because he delights in seeing people suffer. But instead, we need to see it for what it really is. And he does it to chasten us as his children, and he does punish the wicked. But bear this in mind, who the Lord really is. Verse 22, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Imagine that. Imagine that when you wake up in the morning, it is fresh, grace. It is fresh compassion. It's not just a constant that he has established from the beginning of your life, or the beginning of the year, or just because you're in the right state of mind. No, he does it fresh every single morning, and it never stops. How amazing is that? Despite how we are, God is faithful. He has always been faithful to us, he always will be faithful to us, and he seeks to do good to us. But at the same time, he is a God of justice, and if we violate his justice, then he will take action appropriately. But what he longs to do is to show his loving kindness and his compassions, and he does it despite us. Despite what we do, he still gives us grace. And that is the God that we serve. Amen? The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the one who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will not reject forever, but for if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men to crush under his feet. This is the God that we serve. He's not a bully. He is not just some mean kid in the sky. The Lord is compassionate. It doesn't always feel like that, right? Because we just read all the book of Jeremiah, and we read the first half of Lamentations, and it doesn't feel like God is good. But the problem is, is that God is good, and we are not. We are the problem, not him. We have done this to ourselves, if things in life are coming to us. Or even in the case of Job, God is sovereign over all things, and if he chooses to give us hardships, it is for a purpose. When he did it to Job, Job had not sinned. Job was a righteous man, and yet he still was afflicted so heavily. But why? Was it for no reason at all? Absolutely not. The book of Job is was written for us, it was written for our instruction, so that we could better understand God's nature, and to help us understand how he rules sovereignly over his creation. And then what did he do to Job after that? He rewarded him with double of what he had. So, no, God is not just a bully, and God is always good, and we're the problem. I love verse 39 in light of that, because it says, Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint? Why would you complain about God in view of his sins? Let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. We need to look at ourselves. Stop looking at God being mean and, why are you doing this to me, Lord? Examine yourself. Examine where you have fallen short. You're most likely doing something you're not supposed to be doing. And as I'm doing that, I'm pointing at myself. (laughs) I'm no better than anyone. I have plenty of my own problems. He does these things intentionally because of his justice, but he still cares for us. Like verse 55, I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, even my cry for help. And then what happens? You drew near when I called on you and said, do not fear. You have pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. When we repent... And we call upon the name of the Lord. He answers us. That is what he has promised to do. Remember what we read? Where it says, you will seek me and find me if you search for me with all your heart. That is what he's promised, and he will keep his promises. He always will. But because Jerusalem did not repent, all of this disaster came upon them. So we see in chapter 4 what it looks like for them to be utterly defeated by God. And then we see in the second half of the chapter, it goes through the siege and why the siege had to happen. Because you see all the terrible things these people are doing. And then it shows a glimpse of hope. Because it, it points to Edom. And Edom is laughing at them. But he's like, let me remind you, you're next. You've got your own judgment going on. You're, like it says in verse 21, the cup will come around to you as well. You will become drunk and make yourself naked. In other words, you will expose your sins to God. He knows your iniquities. He even says so at the end of verse 22. He will expose your sins, he will punish your iniquity. And then, chapter 5, you see the confession. Jeremiah is confessing the sins of his people, what they have done wrong, why they are in this situation, and asking for deliverance. And then finally, we have a specific petition, which is the last four verses of this chapter. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so long? And then he asks his petition here. Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. It reminds me of when David sinned with Bathsheba. And he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That just comes to mind. Because the things that we did at first, when we were on fire for the Lord, are the very things that Jesus accuses the church in the book of Revelation. You have lost your first love. You need to repent and return to your first love. The love that you had at first, whenever you were on fire for the Lord, return to that. And that's what he's calling us to do here as well. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us, And it stops there on a negative note. That's why when publicly read, it's customary that they would read verse 21 again to kind of end it on a happy note. But this is the way the Bible has presented it because it is negative and it's completely in God's hands. And that ends the depressing book of Lamentations and we go into the fantastical book of Ezekiel. Now Ezekiel it has a very unique vision of God. He sees a lot of very unique things that many other prophets don't ever see. Therefore, through the book of Ezekiel, we are privileged to see a unique vantage point of God as well as what he's doing. So beginning in chapter 1, it mentions that now it came about in the 30th year. We're not right really sure what the 30th year was. Are we talking about Ezekiel's 30th year of life? Is it talking about the age when he entered the priesthood? You know, what is it talking about here? We don't really know. But it does mention that Ezekiel was in exile in Babylon, and he was by the river Chabar. when the Lord came to him and he showed him a fantastical vision. So we see later on in the book of Ezekiel, especially chapter 10, that the creatures that were described here, these four living creatures that were humanoid in nature, but yet they had wings, they had four faces with different animals, and then they had these wheels that would roll around as if their soul was attached to them in some way. All of these things are described as cherubim. These are angels that are being described here. When we go to a store like Hobby Lobby or something, and we look for decorations of angels, we usually see humans with wings. But that's not how the Bible describes angels. There's a very real reason why, when people see an angel appear in front of them, that they are afraid. They are menacing-looking creatures. They are not just gentle human people with wings and white clothes on, they are frightening, they are powerful, and they are very different from what we know. So we need to not underestimate why people are afraid of angels when they appear. Not simply just because they appeared, but because they are frightening in appearance. I mean, imagine you actually, if you were to take this literally and to see an angel like this, that would freak anybody out. I was reading it, and it was freaking me out. So what are cherubim? Cherubim are a, an order of angels. We don't know what other kinds of angels there are, but we do know there are seraphim and there are cherubim. Those are the only ones that we know of mentioned in the Bible, outside of perhaps messengers like Gabriel, as well as archangels like Michael which the Bible only gives those two names of angels. But the cherubim are an order of angels that are, their primary role seems to be that they are in charge of guarding the holiness of God. So they are the ones that you see in Genesis chapter 3, the ones that are guarding the way to the tree of life and protecting the garden from that point on with the sword that spins in all directions. And they're also the angels that are represented on the Ark of the Covenant. It also mentions in this book as well that Satan was a cherub. So we have some ideas of what this looks like, but if this is really what they look like in their base form, so to speak, that's frightening. We can talk about the specifics of what all these things described, but let me be honest with you that a lot of this is symbolic. A lot of Ezekiel is symbolic, is not, and it's not always meant to be taken literally. Like, for example, like in verse 18, where it describes that the rims of these wheels were lofty and awesome, and they were covered with eyes round about. Were they literally full of eyes all around these rims? Or is it symbolic of something? Most scholars would suggest that this means that God has the ability to see all things, And that's the symbolism there. But it may may very well be literal that they were covered with eyes. We don't know. It's hard to tell. So with that being said, I'm not going to dive too deep into the eschatology of this because, quite frankly, I don't think I'm qualified to do it unless the Lord gives it to me through an act of his revelation. So I'll do my best, but I don't know the, the complete answer to some of this. Perhaps the most important part of this chapter is beginning in verse 26. While the angels themselves are fascinating to read about, the glory of God is much more interesting to us. Should be, at least. Ezekiel saw a fiery brightness that had human shape to it, and he knew it was the living God. And we believe that this was a vision of Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate form. Now Ezekiel could not see him clearly, because no one can see God clearly and live. But it was cloudy on purpose, because he hasn't come yet. He hasn't come to redeem his people. So what's important about this is that God is showing himself in a human-like form, but he was not merely a man. But he became a man through the incarnation of Jesus Christ so that he could die. And this is the reason why he did it, so that he could redeem us. That was the work of redemption that was planned from eternity past. This was always the plan. And Ezekiel gets to see a glimpse of it at this time. And then, very interestingly, he gets called often in the book of Ezekiel, son of man. Now, there's a difference between the way that God is speaking to him, Son of Man, and how Jesus describes himself as Son of Man, because him being called Son of Man here means he's calling him a human. He's calling him someone who is a son of Adam. But when Jesus says it, he says it in a different way, that he is the Son of Man, in a way to describe that he is God and human at the same time. So it's a little bit different. But in here, this is the first time we'll see it, but it's going to happen 92 more times where he is called Son of Man throughout the book of Ezekiel. God does this intentionally to remind Ezekiel that I am a majestic, glorified, holy God and you are a mortal man, and you must listen to me. This nation is not listening to me, so I'm going to send you to them so that you may speak words of truth to them. He reminds him that these people are rebellious, they are stubborn, and you will be discouraged by the way they respond to your words, so don't be surprised. Now, at the end of the chapter, it describes a scroll that was given into Ezekiel's hand. And what's interesting is at the beginning of chapter 3, he's going to eat it, but we'll get there tomorrow. But it was made out of skins. Usually back then, ones that were made out of skin like this were only written on one side. But God had a lot to say. So it says that He wrote on the front and the back of the scroll. And written on it, were lamentations, mourning, and woe. So you want to call that judgment, you want to call that bad news for Israel, and then here it is. And, but this is what God has to say. He still has complaints against these people because they still have not repented, despite being in exile. So God is not done with Israel. He has not given up on them. And if you notice this, God is not bound to geography. He went to exile with them. He's witnessing to them in exile. He has not given up on them. He has pronounced judgment on them, but he has never abandoned them, and he will never abandon them. He still wants to do good to them. He wants to be heard by his chosen people. And so he continues to send prophets at this time in order to clearly convey what is going on. But beyond that, Ezekiel is going to see many future things that will mirror the book of Revelation. So it's going to be a fantastical book that we go through. And get ready, buckle up, because it's going to be a crazy ride. But for now, that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.